a number of years ago when I was serving with the Baptist Convention in New England, uh, one of my pleasures was to organize a conference for a group of pastors. We had about 50 guys together out of the, actually a, at a hotel here in Gardner. And um, th- there were a number of different themes for the two, two and a half days that we were together. But as a part of that, after one of the dinner, dinners we had, I, I invited a, a, a well-known uh, pastor and author, Christian author, to come and, and speak to the group. And literally the theme that I had given him was just what have you learned through your years in ministry? And um, he came out to join us. And um, the, the, the things that he shared with the group that night were, were very powerful. He talked about the importance of, of having real friendships and relationships as pastors. Not being out there as an island on your own, and, but, but, but having deep connections, people who can really speak into your life and to challenge you. And he, he talked about the importance of prayer, about some of the things that we've been talking about when we've been considering the concept of Sabbath out of our Ten Commandments. But then he got to a time when he shared with us that, you know, he had, he had risen, if you will, to use that terminology, to be the leader of a very prominent ministry in our country that does work around the world. And, and he really had a tremendous opportunity to be ambassador for Christ. But he shared with us that in the midst of that experience, and this was fairly, this was well known publicly, uh, that he had in, on a single event, he'd committed adultery. And he had experienced utter public humiliation, if you will. He didn't resist any of the consequences that came with that. He embraced it and he talked about some of the journey that went with all of that and his journey of recovering from literally a a total, um, what's the word I want to use, ways in which he had just really had let down his God, his ministry, and his family, and himself, his faith. And I can remember, you know, what the takeaway that night was, you know, I don't want to, I said, I don't want to ever do that to my Lord or to my church, to my wife, to my family, to myself. You know, and um, I'm surprised I'm getting as emotional as I am. But we come today to, to that topic, that seventh commandment, where God says to us, thou shall not commit adultery. You know, and, and, and I think as we begin to talk just a little bit today about our human sexuality and God's call on how we expect to use it, I, I want to remind us that, and there's probably no bigger area that where we need to remind ourselves that God's instructions to us, His commandments to us, are designed to be a blessing. Now, I want to get that across. You know, we've got people who live as singles well into their 20s and into their 30s. We have people who have been through horrific marriages and who don't have ever a desire to get married again because of that. And yet, somehow or another, they got these sexual needs and they think to themselves, there's no way for me to be happy. There's no way for me to be fulfilled if I don't somehow express this. And, and it's really hard to understand that the reason God gives us this command is for our own benefit. It's for our blessing. It's for our intent. And I want you to know that, that this is a, this biblical sexual ethic is not discriminatory. It applies to all of us. Male, female, married, single, heterosexual, homosexual, the same biblical sexual ethic applies to all of us. That God has given us this gift of sex, our sexuality, and it is designed and intended to be expressed in the unique and lifelong relationship between one man and one woman that we know as marriage. And when we violate that, we bring great harm upon ourselves. But I got to tell you, even God's word is not stopping that. Adultery in its literal forms is running rampant in our nation. You know, and I know there are people who are, we probably have folks among us that that have been experienced this violation of God's standards. I'm not here to try to raise any sense of guilt 
or to create any blame or shame or whatever. I am here to proclaim that it's not the unforgivable sin. There is a way to experience deep repentance and cleansing and to be healed and to move forward. And if you've experienced that already in your journey, you should celebrate God's grace and that your life can be governed by the future and not by your past. It's a wonderful thing. And, and, I, and so we need to celebrate the fact that we can move beyond and can move beyond. But I want you to know that this is an issue that is, that is really powerful among us. You know, just several things. I mean, a number of years ago, I stumbled across a report, a, a, a statistic that had been done. And it showed that at least one-third of men and one-quarter of all married women had committed adultery. So look up and down the row. And there's a number, at least statistically. A number of years ago, Reader's Digest did a, a, a survey. And their response was that 50% of married men and 35% of married women had committed adultery. It's one out of two for men. One out of three for women. It's mind-boggling. That boils down to the fact of here in our nation that almost 20 million husbands and 12 million wives have violated the oath that they gave to their spouse when they got married. And unfortunately, even the church doesn't escape. And Christianity Today, Christianity Today did a survey of 1,000 subscribers not too long ago. And 45% of their subscribers admitted to doing something that was sexually inappropriate with someone besides their spouse. And a full 20, 23% admitted to having extramarital intercourse with somebody else. 25% of the church body is they... It's staggering. It's bewildering. It's sobering. You know, I think sometimes we, we just play with this... You know, I... I have to admit, I'm really concerned for our nation. I mean, most of you are aware of the fact that a lot of our schools distribute condoms to to teenagers, young kids. They can't take a Tylenol without their parents' signature, but somehow or another they know how to use the gift of sexuality that God's given them, and therefore we should just give them the equipment. According to to what I hear from my children, half of the kids at the high school smoke dope. So maybe they should get lessons on how to roll a joint so they know how to do it right, right? I mean, the kids are going to do it, so we might as well give them condoms. And Well, you you know, it's it's a tough thing. Because when we talk about our human sexuality, everything kind of gets all disjointed. Our text today is on page 152 of your pew Bibles. It's Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's just a single verse. Verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 5. You'll find the same thing in Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to pick up for just a moment in Matthew chapter 5 as well. God, as he was giving instructions to Moses to pass on to the people about how to live the best, the best life they possibly could as they entered into a new relationship with him and entered into the promised land, he said, do not commit adultery. I interpreted that a few weeks ago in one of my columns in the e-letter. It's meaning that we as individuals, we need to be faithful to our spouses before we marry them and after we marry them. I could have gone on to say that it means that we are to be faithful to them physically, emotionally, and relationally, before and after we marry our spouses. But something struck me as I was thinking through this. This is pretty black and white, isn't it? Not a lot of gray area, right? I mean, it's, it's very black and white, you know? I mean, one of the things I tell people about baptism, you know, it's one of the few things as a follower of Christ is you just get to check it off and you're done. You know, most of the other stuff you've got to keep doing over and over again. You've got to pick up your cross every day and follow me. Baptism, it's one and done. This is pretty black and white. There's not a lot of gray area. Why is it so hard for us? And I think a lot of it is that we have not really truly appreciated some of the the counsel, the teaching that Christ has given us as a follow-up to this in Matthew chapter 5. We focus so much on what we're not supposed to do. We have 
lost sight of the whys of why we're not supposed to do it. The positives that go with it. It's not just what the behavior God's asking us not to engage in. He's also asking us to be a people of a certain type, a certain character, certain principles. And we need to see both of those together. So I want you to turn over with me to Matthew chapter 5. And I, and I apologize, I have not looked up that page number in the, in the Pew Bible, so if somebody gets there, if they could call it out for me. What? Page 816. We're going to start with the 27th verse. Jesus here is, is laying out the character and the principles related to this issue of adultery. He's, he's, he's taking the teaching of God, like do not murder and do not commit adultery, and he's internalizing it to say, this is, this is a behavior on the outside you're not supposed to do, but now I'm talking about the behavior on the inside that leads you to get there. And, and what I'm seeking and desiring for you to replace it with is I fill you with my grace and with my truth. Let me just read these three verses for us down through the 30th verse. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We just read that in Deuteronomy. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Undoubtedly, some of our problem with adultery is that we have not embraced the teaching of Christ in Matthew chapter 5. Before the experience of adultery, there are temptations to go before. There's a journey. Uh, you know, one of the things that evening as he was sharing with us, that even in the midst of all of this ministry and the good things he was doing, he, he, there were things that were happening in his own life and in his relationship with this, with this other person that, that he, just, he could have seen and he just ignored them. In many ways, Jesus is saying the same thing. He says to us guys, I think primarily, he says, listen, when you look on a woman, and the reason you're looking is because you want to stir something inside. You've already committed adultery. And you don't start the journey of committing adultery until you've been stirred inside. So get it before it starts. Don't look on somebody else besides your spouse to be somehow sexually aroused or stimulated, but focus on your spouse. I think if Jesus was going to give equal airtime to women, I think in many ways women develop emotional attachments to men who are not their husbands, and that launches the journey that leads to adultery. You have to be very careful about those. It's not just physical. Sometimes it's emotional. And, and, and it, but Jesus is saying, I want you to understand that it doesn't just start in the bedroom. It leads way back. And you need to be looking at all the stuff on the inside that leads you on that journey. Now, what type of people do we need to be in order that we aren't looking at others to stimulate ourselves? Or that now we're not forming emotional attachments with other people. And, and there's lots of ways I could go here. And I was tempted somewhat to talk about divorce, I mean, uh, uh, making your marriage adultery-proof and that kind of thing. But, but I want to proclaim a larger message of what this commandment to not commit adultery and, and to, to be a person who doesn't even let the momentum develop in that direction. God calls us to be a certain types of people. And it is, if you will, the, the corollaries that go with the negative commandment of do not commit adultery. There are things that God's asking us to do. And, and one of the things, and you'll see in your outline, that I, I think that God's asking us to do, and it's a part of being somebody who does not commit adultery, is God is asking us 
to be people who use the gifts that he's given us in harmony with his intent and his values. Now let that sink in for a minute. Because that doesn't apply just to our the gift of sexuality. And I want you to know I believe that the gift of our sexuality and the expression of sex between a husband and a wife is, is a gift from God. And as, as you read through some of the rest of the Scriptures in Hebrew 13 about honoring marriage and not letting the, the marriage beget bed become defiled and some things in, in 1 Corinthians 7 where it talks about the fact that husbands and wives should not withdraw from each other physically for too long but should give themselves back because they, they little, their bodies belong to one another. God expects for that to be a part of our journey. And, and it's a gift to husbands and wives. It's a gift that should be used. But, but we, we violate the use of that gift of our human sexuality when we use it outside of God's intent. We use it to give ourselves to somebody who's not our spouse. And it brings destruction upon ourselves. But isn't that true with anything? I mean, God's given us all kinds of gifts. Like our relationships. Those are great gifts. And God has an intent, a plan for those. Maybe you could summarize, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We follow God's plan, relationships go well. When we don't, they can become one of the biggest sources of agony in our lives. Opportunities. God brings opportunities into our lives. All different types of opportunities. Perhaps a blanket statement, you know, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. You know, when we do it, in a way that's desired to bring God honor and glory and privilege and accept. It, it, things work well. When it's about us getting ahead and more and more, things really begin to get out of control. And we begin to feel, experience all kinds of stress and, and anxiety and anxiousness and, accept, and the list just goes on and on. Same with our resources. You know, our finances and our possessions and the list just kind of goes on and on. Underneath this admonition not to commit adultery, it's God's call upon us to be people who experience His best. Because we use the gifts that he's given us in harmony with his intent and plan. And that goes across the board. There's another, I think, truth that lies in here. God really wants us to be people who let their spiritual character or convictions guide their lives. To be master over their decision making. You know, when you and I get around to making decisions, there's all kinds of things that begin to focus in, aren't there? There's our feelings. There's our desires. There's our worries and anxieties. There's all kinds of things that begin to factor in. God says, I want you to be a decision maker and that the decisions you make are based upon the convictions you have because of what I've taught you about who I am and who you are as a part of me. That's what I want to govern your life. So God's given us this gift of our sexuality and he wants us to make decisions about how we use this gift based upon our spiritual convictions because God has said to us, do not commit adultery. He wants us to be people who make decisions. I mean, I, I used to, when I was working more with teenagers and college students in my, my seminary days, one of the things I'd say to them is, you need to figure out what's right for you in your relationship with the person you're going out on a date for long before you ever pull out of the driveway in the car. I mean, if you wait till you're parked on the point, looking out over the lake with the moon shining, stars going, you're dead meat. I mean, you need to make up your mind beforehand. When you've got this open channel to God and He can really speak, when you figure out what's right before God and let that be what drives your decision. And people make all kinds of excuses. I, I, you know, I've dealt over the years, well, you know, we, we live together because we can't afford financially not to. So what's driving their decision? Their finances, not their faith. And the list just kind of goes on and on. And God's saying, I want you to be a people who make decisions based upon what I've told you is true and right in the kind of life that I can bless. Is that pretty clear? Now then you can begin to trickle that out to all kinds of things in our lives. This next one might be a little harder for us. 
And, and let me tell you a story connected to the Scripture and then make my point. When I was in seminary, I had the privilege of serving a church staff at the Grace Temple Baptist Church in Denton, Texas. Christina was the organist, and I was the college minister, a part-time kind of role. And our pastor was a guy by the name of Dr. Terry Land, and he was a really good guy. A little stiff at times. He was a, he was a, a submarine nuclear engineer. You know, that was his role in the Navy, you know. And so he's really, you know but he, he forced himself to be an extrovert when he needed to be, but he was really an introvert at heart, you know. And, and I remember him telling specifically, he and his wife finally took their dream vacation, and they had gone to southern France. And he talked about them being in the Riviera and, and them trying to figure out what they were going to do with their day. And they, they, re- they really wanted to go to the beach at the French Riviera. And, but he knew, because of European customs, that there would be a number of topless female bathers. So he didn't go. Because he knew he couldn't go and keep Jesus' teachings about looking at a woman and lusting. So he said, I'm not going to go. Did you notice in our teaching from Jesus? He said, you know, if your right hand cut, causes you to sin, just cut it off. Get rid of it. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Get rid of it. He said, you are better off to live a life of, of more limited experiences that are morally in, right, in, in terms of righteousness upright in the eyes of God. You are better off to limit your life experiences than you are to live a life of wide variety of things, but bring all kinds of temptations and spiritual stresses into your life. Make sense? And so when he talks about adultery, and we see Jesus' expanded teaching about adultery, about not lusting after someone else, there's all kinds of words for us. You know, we, we, we don't, we don't, there's all kinds of things that we engage in where we unnecessarily expose ourselves to temptation. We, we live in a society that is just saturated with sexuality. And it's going to hit us anyways. But we don't need to give it more opportunity than we need to. And so there's a need for us as people who seek to keep the commandment to not commit adultery. We need to be people to say, you know what? I have the freedom to go do that, but I'm not going to. Because it exposes me to things that I don't need to be exposed to. And we need to be willing to shut down or draw in the limits of our lives. Now listen, you know, I'm not talking about you, you know, building a little cabin in the mountains of Vermont, you know, and climbing in there and no cable, no electricity, no phones, no anything. And you just sit in the corner of your room and you're never tempted. You know, I'm not talking about that. Because I don't think God ex- expects us to withdraw from the world. But he doesn't expect us to be stupid either. You know, to, 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 to build the biggest fire we can and then see how close we can get to it. You know, when we let things out of control, I mean, you know, a campfire is lovely, but when it turns into a forest fire, it's trouble. We, we, we need to use wisdom from God and not expose ourselves to all kinds of things that we don't need to. Make sense? So God is inviting His people to experience His best by living a limited life of moral uprightness rather than a life of wider experiences compromised, comprised of questionable moral experiences. One last piece, and it's been the theme of our slide this morning. God commands his people to be like himself. Remember when Jesus said, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect? God's a promise keeper. God expects us to be promise keepers. I don't know if I can say it any more clearly than that. God expects us to be promise keepers. A little over 27 years ago, stood at the Martha Mary Chapel in Sudbury, Massachusetts, and I told Christina that I would keep myself only for her as long as the two of us will live. God expects me to keep that promise. So does Christina, but God expects me to keep that promise. <laughs> you get the idea, right? You know, and, and I got to tell you, you, you guys are smart enough to know this. 
you, you probably know families or couples have been devastated by unfaith. And, and, and the physical betrayal is just a part of it. But, but it's, 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 the, it's the destruction of trust that really is the hardest thing for those couples to overcome. It really is. Because when you give your word and you violate it, it's something as precious as the gift of yourself physically to somebody else. The, the trust just gets shattered. And it's hard to rebuild. That's why keeping our word, being promise keepers is so powerful. And God says, you want to live a great life? You want to be able to move into the promised land and fulfill all the opportunities? Keep your word. And that means keep your word to your spouse. No adultery. No adultery. God's not a killjoy. God is a joy giver. And as a joy giver, God says to us, be faithful to your spouse, physically, emotionally, relationally, both before and after you give yourselves to them. And let that be an extension of who I've made you to be as people who keep their promises, as people who are prepared to live life more narrowly so they can live it more faithfully, as people who make decisions based upon the truth of God and the teachings of God. God says to us to bless us. Don't commit adultery. Let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us. God, thanks for being wiser than us. And thanks for being the great teacher. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see your truth for us today. For we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. This is probably a very awkward sermon to ask for an invitation. You want to come forward. And, and, but that doesn't mean that God's not calling us to respond. So I invite you as we stand and we sing together to respond. To embrace God's truth for your